we are continuing our series on intimacy with God. You remember how Mike spoke last week about Psalm 80, 18. <laughs> I knew that. I knew that. I heard reports of his, his stuff about David and Goliath was really inspiring. What did you actually bring down some giants here in front of anyone? Did you do a demonstration? Gosh, I shouldn't have missed that. Shouldn't have missed that. <laughs> oh, you were the, he was the giant and Pastor Andrew was David. <laughs> so if you missed that, you can go and listen to the podcast also on our website. Um, we had Pastor Belinda here just sharing from her heart about her journey into the intimacy of God um, some weeks back, and that was also spectacular. What, what we have done is we, we feel like the book of Psalms is really many different people writing about their journey into the heart of God, like overcoming difficulties, emotional stress and strain of, of daily life and finding God in the midst of that, of praising Him, of living in the place where He is very real to them. You know, the book of Psalms is so amazing because it's so raw about emotions. Have you noticed that? If you've ever read it, you know, um, the psalm can start, especially David's psalms, they can start at the beginning with him like saying, God, would you smite all my enemies? Would you destroy those people who have spoken against me? You know, would they get boils in parts of their bodies that are very painful? You know, it's just like, just like you can feel his seething anger and like, oh, this is so frustrating. And then by the end of the psalm, he's like, oh, God, you're so beautiful. You're so wonderful. Wonderful. You're so amazing, Lord. Love me and love my enemies. You know, he's just like completely changed. And what is that? He's talking about the fact that, you know, we can go to God just as we are. We can go with all our frustrations, our anger, our irritation, our feelings of disappointment at him. And you can just go right into the presence of God and tell him like it is. But as he gives you the honor of being real with him, we in turn give him the honor of being real with, him, with us. So as we've told him all the issues, then we stand back and say, what do you say, God? And the Psalms are the story of that. People coming into God's presence with all their issues and coming out of God's presence completely changed. And this is what and who God is. Let's pray. Father God, I just ask that you would come and Reveal yourself in greater and greater measure to us, Lord God. We thank you that as we, as we journey into your presence, Lord God, that we are changed by that, Lord God. That, that every person here has a hunger for you, Lord God. They're here because they want more of you, Lord. And Father God, whatever their background, wherever they've come from, Lord, I want to ask that you would do that for them. You would do that for me, Lord God. I want to know you better today than I knew you yesterday. And tomorrow I want to know you even better. And Lord God, I, I want the knowledge of you to open up in my mind faith. I, I want to, as I see you, I want to become more able to believe. And Father God, I'm asking that in that place you will open up the door for miracles, Lord God. We would be a people of the supernatural. We would be people for whom impossible means nothing. Lord God, I want to ask that we be a people who would build your kingdom with joy and life. Lord God, that every day we would go from strength to strength in the knowledge of you. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. So we are going to be talking about um, Psalm 84. And Psalm 84 is really a, a story of the journey 
of people to Jerusalem. So it wasn't actually written by David. The majority of the Psalms were written by David, was written by the sons of Korah who were Levites, priests that ministered in the temple. But it's talking about um, how on the, uh, there were a number of times in the year that all Israelites were asked to go to the temple in Jerusalem to worship the Lord together for various feasts. And this is a, a psalm about that journey to Jerusalem, anticipating the time of worship they would have in the temple together in God's presence. And right from the beginning, it's talking about the, that sense of excitement that they have, that they, they're going to be with God and um, what is going to happen on the way and how as they get into God's presence, they're going to be transformed by that. And to some degree, it's a story of our lives. Psalm 84 is really a story of our journey through difficult times, pressing into the presence of God. We know we don't have to go to a particular temple anymore to find the presence of God, that the presence of God is, has been open to all of us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that God is right here. He's sitting next to you right now. He's watching you while you work. He's watching you and your family. I know for some of that's a little bit scary, but nonetheless, he's right there. And not only is he right there, but he's available. He's available to to comfort our hearts, to strengthen our hearts, to give us the wisdom we need. He's available to co-labor with us so that everything we do is more than just our effort, but it's God's effort and our effort mixed together to form something spectacular. But as we are journeying to this realization and as we go through life, for all of us, there's almost like a, a pressing through barriers, a pressing through obstacles to keep that foremost in our minds. How many times do you go through your day when, bam, you realize you've just started worrying and you've just, you've, you've tried to figure out solutions for yourself. Some of them not so great. Some of them are like David's beginning of his Psalms, like smite them with boils in, under their arms and stuff. There's somewhere where it says that. But you know, where you, you've kind of like, you've just given vent to your emotions and you haven't really found a godly solution. But um. And you think, oh gosh, I left the presence of God. And this psalm is just a reminder to draw back into that place where God is. So that our solutions can be filled with grace and wisdom that actually bring results. Yes. Amen. Amen. So when I first got married, you know what one, you know, when I first got married many, many years ago. Oh, yeah, the first time. They're saying, what happened the second time? <laughs> No, there was only one time. Once is enough. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, because it's so great. It's enough. It's enough. It's enough. Okay. But you know, I, I, just a little aside, like someone once said to me, if anything happened to Andrew, would you get married again? I was like, there is no way. Because you know what? He's so great. No one would ever live up to it. <laughs> But also, it's taken me 27 years to train him. You know, I just don't know if I have enough time for another one. I just don't know if I can do it again. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's get back to serious stuff. Let's get back to the Bible. But when I got married, the only time I got married, you know, when I woke up that next day and... You know, Andrew was right there, and we had breakfast together, and then, you know, we had lunch together, and we had supper together, and we went out for a walk together, and we just, we were together all day. It was like, oh my word, this is so great. I've, you know, this is the person I've always wanted to be with. Every minute was like new and exciting, and every, everything he said was like, oh, wow. That's right. <laughs> 
you know, it was, and you know, now he picked up my suitcases on honeymoon and I saw his muscles and he was like, oh my word, this is just the most magnificent man ever. <laughs> Sometime into our marriage, I found myself kind of like just taking it for granted. You know, he's always there. He's supposed to be there. He's supposed to pick up my cases. You know, you know it's like this, and I forgot to notice who he was. You know, I forgot to, I forgot to value the fact that he was always around. And um, I found, you know, marriage just becoming humdrum every day. And then, then God kind of reminded me of who my husband was. And I realized that in order to maintain a healthy marriage, I'm going to have to press into remembering the wonder of those first moments to notice the glory of who he was, to notice that he was strong and able and intelligent and funny. You know, I, and had to, I had to re-notice those things. And I had, to, I had to almost make a conscious effort to keep those in the front of my mind. And, you know, sometimes in our relationship with God, that is very true. You know, when you first come to know God, oh, my word, he's magnificent. You read that Bible every page. just makes you just want to scream out with joy. It's like, what? This is amazing. What? He walked on water. Look at that. Look, he did this. You know, you just, you're just feeling that love and that joy of having him around. It can happen that some years into your walk, you kind of just, uh, you know, God's there. He's always there. But what's new? You know, it just becomes ordinary. And reading your Bible becomes a chore. Doing the things that you, are, that you know you're supposed to do just, you know, just becomes ordinary. And I feel like part of our journey into intimacy with God is doing the work you would do in a natural relationship to keep it fresh. It's that you have to start remembering who God is. You have to, like, invite your heart to that place of awe again. Like, oh, wow, he did that. So when you're reading your Bible, it's not just I'm getting through what I'm supposed to do. I'm seeing God through new eyes. I mean, I'm inviting him to show me something fresh about himself. I'm, I'm yearning day in and day out to, to know him more, to notice his presence, to believe him for the miracles, to, to stand in faith for the things that were easy some years ago. And this psalm, to some degree, is that story of that journey of keeping our relationship with God fresh, exciting, new, and valuable to us. There's a man that lived many thousands of years ago. He was very famous. His name was Augustine. And in fact, much of the theology of the church is based on him. He was a complete reprobate. He lived absolutely for himself. His mother was a Christian, prayed and prayed, and he still just lived in a crazy, crazy way. And lo and behold, in his 30s, God got hold of him. Bam. You know, a mother's prayers never fail. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And he came to know the Lord and with such a radical conversion that he, he had been trained in a rhetoric and in philosophy. And so when he had this turnaround, he was a Latin man. Actually, here's the great thing. He was African. Seriously. He was born in North Africa, lived in North Africa, and his whole, well, he spent some time out of North Africa, but his whole passion was Africa, and he called himself an African. I'm just saying. Just in case you, you were feeling bad about being an African ever, we have some greats to call our own. And so um, 
this man, as he came to God and he discovered God at a later age, he said this great thing that I think is so profound. He said, to fall in love, <laughs> to fall in love with God is the greatest of all romances. To seek him, the greatest adventure. To find him, the greatest human achievement. What is really nice is that Jesus said a similar thing. He didn't use quite those same words, but he was praying right at the end of his life for himself and for, in his relationship with God and praying for his disciples. And in that prayer in John 17, he said this, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. As an eternal being, do you understand that eternal life starts now? That we're not waiting for some time in the future when things are going to get wonderful. We're not waiting to go to heaven when things will be fantastic. Our whole job or our whole experience from the time we get born, born again is to start living eternity from that moment onwards. That, that in essence, the minute we come to know God, we pull a bit of heaven down here onto earth. And from that moment on, we live in the principles and the presence of God and the joy and the life that we imagine that we will get one day when we die actually becomes our possession right now. And we can live in that from this moment onwards. If you haven't been living in it, don't worry. It's easy to rectify. Just do it. Just grab it now and live in it. It's yours. But what Jesus was saying in this moment that that in fact, that eternal life, that everything you long for, the, the security, the happiness, the peace, in fact, is not found in another place. Yeah. It's found in relationship with your heavenly Father and with Jesus Christ. Yeah. That the reason heaven is so fantastic is not because they're rolling hills and mountains and gold palaces and whatever. I don't know what there is there. I haven't been. But it's so fantastic because God's there. And there is a never-ending, you know, you think God is fantastic, but wait till you see him with your physical eyes. Wait till you, wait till the revelation of him is all around you. Okay, now don't wait, just do it. We can have it now. That's what Jesus was saying, that this is eternal life, is to know God. And we can have that now. Have you ever been hungry? <laughs> I mean, you know, there, there have been days when I, like, skipped a couple of meals unintentionally and because things got too busy or something. You know those days when you rush out without breakfast and you plan to have lunch, but then some crisis happens at lunchtime and uh, it comes to the evening. And you know what? If anyone just slows down in front of you, you likely start gnawing their arm. You know how that is? It's just like anything. Sorry, I'm look, you're looking confused. Like, what? You don't feel like that. You don't feel like you'll just eat anything in front of you. Okay, so if a table stops in front of you, you just start gnawing its leg. But the bottom line is, like, at that moment, everything just looks good. You know, you'd even eat spinach. <laughs> I actually like spinach. But when I was young, a lot younger than I am now, because I, yeah, yeah, I just want to confess I'm still young. But I, 
you know, I, as many girls do, I went through this stage thinking that I really wasn't uh, presentable and good-looking enough for the world, and as a result, I had to get thinner. Some of you don't don't answer, but I know that some people have experienced this, and. And so I would try and diet hectically, but deep down inside I had these pain and issues from various things. So all I could think of was, you know, while I was dieting, all I could think of was like ice cream and chocolate sauce and just all those things you shouldn't eat. And then the minute I I kind of lost self-control, I would just go and eat those things till I was ready to throw up. Now, you're going to say, gosh, poor girl, you need some help. I got help. But you know, what I discovered in those days is that there's a love hunger in everyone's heart. You know, the reason I I was so attracted to eating food that wasn't good for me is that, that I had this feeling inside of me that needed comfort. And food, to some degree, gave that to me. At the same time, the reason I wanted to be thin is because the way people looked at me when they thought I was attractive, put, met a kind of comfort need in my heart. And so deep down in so many ways, I, w- I was really hungry for love. Yeah. And the problem was, is because that need wasn't being met and hadn't been met for a, for a long time, I was just looking for it in all kinds of places. And basically, I would just take anything that would give me some kind of temporary relief from that, that feeling of emptiness in my heart. But here's the wild thing, is that this is true for every human being. I'm not this freaky example, although I know I can be quite freaky sometimes, but this is not an unusual thing, is that to some degree we all have this and it manifests in different ways, but all of us have this deep-seated love hunger. And what is that? We need God. We were created for God. We were created for His presence. And it's, it's so true that when you are satisfied in God, the Bible says this, that, that even honey seems distasteful. In other words, when you're satisfied in Him, all other things seem okay. I mean, it's, you can enjoy them and they can be wonderful, but, but when you're satisfied in God, many of those things that just screamed out for you to partake of them, suddenly just don't compare with what you're getting in your heart. Amen. So in Psalm 84, it says it a little bit differently. It says this, My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. In other words, in every human being, there's like a, there's like a God hunger that will not be satisfied by anything else. We can substitute things all over the place, but deep down, unless we get God, we are never going to be the kind of people we dream of being. We'll never fulfill the things that we desire to fulfill. We will never have that deep-seated sense of comfort and satisfaction that God brings. In essence, God's presence is life's prize. That no matter what you are yearning for, deep down you are actually yearning for God. And you know what? There's some aspirations I had as a teenager that I met and surpassed. There are many I haven't gotten to, but there's some that I met and surpassed maybe in my 30s. And you know, when I got there, I discovered they just didn't give me the satisfaction I thought they would. I got to the top of the mountain and discovered there were five more mountains after them. I discovered there were five more things to achieve, and my heart was just as empty as it had been at the bottom of the hill. 
And so I would love, if, if you've never had that experience, I'd love to save you from it. <laughs> By all means, go after things that God has put in your heart. By all means, achieve great things. But achieve them with God so that when you get there, there is a triumph that comes from a God that says, well done, my good and faithful servant. I applaud you, my son. I applaud you, my daughter. Look what you've done because that's actually what you're hungry for. When Andrew and I were planting a church in Namibia, you know the stories of when we were in Nam. You know those, in this church you've heard them a lot. It was like our proving ground. But when we first got there, it was really difficult. And everything went wrong. And our church grew a little bit, shrunk a little bit, grew a little bit, shrunk a little. It was really frustrating. Things just on many fronts were excruciatingly hard. So we did what every Christian should do. We called a prayer meeting. And we got in everyone there. And we told the devil where to go. No, we really did. And we pulled down strongholds and we cast out demons and we told everything to leave us alone and we exerted our authority in Christ very loudly. And guess what? Things just got worse and worse and worse. And we faithfully did this prayer meeting every week. We, we cast the demons out. We told them to leave us alone. And guess what? It just kept getting worse. And then one day Andrew had this brainwave. He said, well, maybe we're doing it th- going about it the wrong way. Because if God is who he says he is, if we just invite his presence into this situation, we won't have to cast out demons. They'll just run screaming. So we changed our whole tactic, and we changed it from a prayer meeting to a worship session. People brought their guitars, and we just worshiped the Lord, lifted up his name, praised him, contemplated his goodness, thought about how fantastic he was, allowed our hearts to be captivated by his awe all over again, and guess what? (laughs) Everything changed. The church started growing. the, The terrible things that were happening stopped happening. And just everything came alive. And, you know, it taught me a really valuable lesson. It really, it taught me something so profound. <laughs> that there is no fight between God and the devil. No, really. The, you know, God won. Yeah. No, and it's not even that God won. There never was a problem. It's like, it's like God was always God. Yes. It's like he was never really phased by the enemy. He was never really worried. And that if I can just hide myself in him and allow his presence to fill my thoughts, to fill my environment, everything's going to be okay. I've shared this scripture before, but Psalm 22 verse 3 says that God is holy. I mean, that just sounds like words, but really what it means is that God is so awesome and incredible and so much bigger than any of your expectations or what you think he is that in order to know him, he can't just be talked about. He has to be experienced because there are no words to describe him. He's just bigger than all of that. And then it goes and it says he's enthroned on the praises of Israel. In other words, your praise creates a place of rulership for him. What is so magnificent is that word there for the praises of Israel. It's not just any old word. 
It's the word for, for the personal, spontaneous praise of your heart. In other words, it's singing your words to your God. It's like when, when we sing these songs here, they're fantastic. And of course, they're creating a place of rulership for God. But when you then, in that place, just cry out spontaneously from your heart, God, you're so good. Do you know what? In that moment, the kingdom is just exploding right there. Because God loves you. And you know, he loves Jeremy Riddle and all the Jesus culture people and Hillsong writers. Everyone has written those beautiful songs. But he also wants to hear your song. He wants to hear your words. And maybe they don't rhyme as well and they don't like fit as beautifully, but they're your words. And God wants your words to his heart. And you know, sometimes when I'm in my time with him or I wake up in the morning and I just start saying good things about God and you know I'm so pleased no one hears them (laughs) because they're very they're very ordinary but I just feel God's delight and pleasure in those I feel all my fears and anxieties just vanishing and I just feel changed by the experience Psalm 84 says an interesting thing. It says, even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young. And what it's talking about is that when they get to the temple and they want to go into God's presence, lo and behold, they find in the temple, you know, little swallows have built nests under the eaves there. And they, they've, the presence of God is so attractive to them that they've just kind of moved in. And this holy, glorious God that with one blast of his nostrils just obliterates mountains and moves nations and does incredible things, just settles down with the little swallows and sparrows and says, this is good. That mighty, awesome, powerful God just loves the simplicity of them just wanting to be with him. You know, in the Bible, Jesus even talked about how two sparrows are sold for a penny or a very small amount of money And yet, not one of them falls to the ground without the knowledge of God. So what's what's this all saying? It's saying that you and me, no matter how famous or unfamous, no matter how significant or insignificant, we we can cozy up to this powerful, glorious God that can smite entire nations just with the blast of his nostrils. We can cuddle up to him and we can be safe. We can rear our families there. We can find protection. We can make a home in his heart. There's place for us. He's made room for us. He's he's inviting us into an intimate, intimate place where it's just us and him. The Bible talks about the fact that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever heard that? But what it's in essence talking about is the fact that we, that God desires to come and dwell inside our hearts. The temple had three places. It had the outer courts where everyone could go. It had the holy place where some, a few people could go. And it had the holy of holies where only once a year the high priest could go. Your heart has the same three places. It has an outer court where you let everyone in. 
It has a holy place where only a few people go. And then you have the Holy of Holies, the inner place of your heart where no one goes but you. And here's the thing. is God wants to come into those intimate places. That's where he wants to make his home. Yeah. Where it's just you and him. Where the secrets of your heart are revealed. Where the place where you tell him what you will tell no one else. Where you reveal to him what you will reveal to no one else. The secret fears, the pride, those feelings of shame. That's where he wants to co- He wants you to cozy up in his presence and make yourself a home. That God wants to do, us to make praise and worship personal. It's between us and him. It's in the secret place. There are words of love and adoration happening. This is a very famous man. He's got a really strange name. His name is Horatio Spafford. That's right, Spafford. He lived in the 1800s in Chicago, and he was a very wealthy businessman. He had a son, he had a son and four daughters. One year, his son died of a disease. Um, obviously, the family was heartbroken. A couple of years later, there was a great fire in Chicago, and all his investments were lost in that fire, and he was basically lost his business. The family was going through a really tough time. He was a devout Christian, a friend of D.L. Moody. And so he sent his family on a ship back to England for a holiday. His wife and his four daughters. Okay, hang on to your chairs. It's going to get worse. As his family was sailing across the Atlantic Ocean, their ship hit another ship and it sank and his four daughters were drowned. His wife arrived back in England alone and sent him a very famous telegram that said, saved alone, that's all. Heartbroken, he got on the ship to go to meet his wife, to comfort his wife. And as he was passing over the Atlantic, over the place where his daughters died, he wrote this song. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. How many of you know that hymn? I mean, it is one of the most famous hymns ever. Thousands upon thousands of people have been comforted by its words. In essence, he did something remarkable that is talked about in Psalm 84. It says, as they pass through the valley of Baca, which is the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs. They go from strength to strength. In essence, what he did is in his deepest, hardest, most terrible moment, he found God. And in that place, he, he embraced the mystery of not knowing why this was happening, but he embraced the goodness of God and he said, nonetheless, you are a good God. You will be with me and we will go from here victorious. That death is not the worst thing that can happen to someone. That I will see my daughters, I will see my son, I will, I know that in the end everything will be good, but right now in my pain I'm embracing you. And that very act of doing that caused something to flow from him that has transformed generations, that has helped generations through difficult places. He walked through a valley of weeping and he made it a place of springs, a place where other people come, come and feast from what he is, from his experience, 
And I'm here to tell you that I, well, I pray weekly for this church. And in that prayer, I pray that no harm will befall you. So I, I hope the worst thing you ever experience is that you can't find a parking at Cresta. Really, that's our prayer. It's the worst thing that happens to you. But say something bad does happen. Or maybe something bad has already happened to you. I've got good news for you. It's not the end. That, that, that difficult thing is the opportunity to invite God into a place he hasn't been. And you and him in that place are going to forge a relationship that is going to become a spring for someone else. A place where they can come and drink of the life that you found in that difficult place. That in fact, you inviting God into that place will become an oasis in a desert for many. And in fact, you will transform that environment to something glorious. You will even look back at that time and say, that was a good time. I found God in that time. So how do we get through those tough times? (laughs) Here are some things. First of all, authenticity. I've already shared with you, it's inviting God into that holy of holies, that intimate place of your life. It means being absolutely ruthlessly honest with God. You know, when I started getting free was the time that I went to God and I said, I'm really angry because I feel like you let me down. There was no one else. I didn't say that to anyone else. (laughs) Just me and God. And he looked at me and said, thank you for sharing your heart. Now, Now can I share my heart? And then he shared his heart with me, and I realized, oh my gosh, he hasn't let me down. In fact, he's blessing me, and it changed everything. But you know, when I pretended that everything was okay, and I was coping, and things were fine, I didn't get anything from God. But when I pulled down the veils and the walls and I just said, God, here I am in all my rawness. This is what I feel. This is who I am. This is what I believe. God, help me. He did. And I was changed. And I came out really fantastic. And people would say to me, you don't ever feel any, have any problems. And I was, God, you don't know. And then we remember who we really are. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Guys, you know what? Hard times will try and define you to you. They'll try and tell you that you're a failure, that you're no good, that you will never make it. Guys, don't let them do that. (laughs) Remember who you are. You're a son and daughter of the Most High God. You are the person that when you walk through a valley of Baca, you change it into a spring of pools, a place of springs, that thing. That's who you are. You walk into a room and God walks with you. You face a problem and you have the wisdom of heaven. You're wise. You're strong. You're able, not because you're fantastic, but because God's in you. And the next thing, kingdom come. Remember this. God will purposefully put you in some hard situations. I'm so sorry. I know this is not good news, but it is really good news. Because God actually wants to invade the entire earth. He actually wants to be in every business deal, in every government meeting, in every classroom, in every home. He actually feels like he's the ruler of the universe and he has the right to be there. 
He actually feels like he's in charge. But he also has handed over this world to mankind and he's waiting for the invitation to be God. And so there are places where he is not. And it's chaos there. It's terrible. It's horrible. How's he going to get in there? He's going to put you there. And he's going to wait for you to invite him. And then he's going to come through you and he's going to change everything. So let's not be afraid of the tough situations, the tough places. Let's get into government, into law, into academia. Let's get into these places and change things. Why? Because we are the answer to the world's problems. Amen. Amen. And then we're going to fight for a relationship. We are going to be the kind of people that no matter what our circumstances say, we're going to press into God, not away from God. No matter what we feel, we're going to say there's a God who knows. He knows my name, he knows what I'm going through, and he knows the answer. Amen. Amen. In conclusion, something Bill Johnson said that I really like. He said this, royalty is my identity. Servanthood is my assignment. But intimacy with God is my life source. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your grace and mercy. I thank you that, that you are here. Lord God, that you're leading us into to a relationship that is so exciting. It's never the same. There's always something new to discover. It's glorious. It's fantastic. It's satisfying. It's comforting. It's gentle and wild at the same time. It's, it's accommodating and comforting as well as exciting, Lord God. It's everything we've ever dreamed of. Lord God, I just ask that you would increase our ability to know you. Father God, I pray we would be a people that will never, ever accept impossibility as an answer. Father God, let us never be a people that that stop at obstacles, Lord God. At those words that have been spoken over our lives, Lord God, that, that have said things will always just be the same. We just reject that, Lord. Father God, we look past all of the difficulty around us to a God who is glorious and great. To a God who made a way. And we say yes. We say yes. We say yes. Thank you, Father. As we're in this place, I'm going to ask if, you know, you are here for the first time or you maybe you've been here for a long time. Maybe you've been in church all your life. Maybe you haven't. But deep down in your heart, you know that you have, you have not surrendered your life to Jesus. You, you, haven't, you haven't started that journey towards intimacy with Him. And you want to do that. You want to make a change in your life. And you want, to, you want God to be in charge. And if that's you and you would like to do that, I'm going to ask you, that you would just raise your hand because I would like to pray for you. Is there anyone who would like to do that? Make a change in their life to follow Jesus. Is there anyone here who would like to do that? Awesome. Thank you. Is there anyone else who would like to do that? Just raise your hand. 
Church, can we just pray this all together? Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Lord, I repent and turn away from running my life my own way. I turn to you. I receive your love. And I say yes to you. In Jesus' name.